listening to Thank You Five, a podcast devoted to Omaha's vibrant performing arts scene. My name is Dana Schweiger, and I've worked in Omaha theater for over 25 years. I'm sitting down with directors, performers, musicians, technicians, and designers to discuss their artistic talent, their passion, and why they continue to call Omaha home. Joshua Milady is a freelance designer, actor, and director based in Omaha, working with many theaters and schools since moving here in 2008. Notable roles and positions include Carrie, the musical, lighting design, and Bent, stage director, both at Snap Productions, Bobby Goodspeed in The Misfits, and Bridge to Terabathia, set design at the Rose Theater. He currently teaches and designs scenery and lights at Iowa Western Community College. He is a teaching artist with Y Arts. He serves on the board for both Snap Productions and the Shelterbelt Theater and owns his own wedding and karaoke business, 31st Productions. Joshua Milady, welcome to the Green Room. Thanks for having me. So as I've done with all of my previous guests, we will start with the basics. Where are you from originally? I'm a Eastern Iowa boy. I'm Dubuque, Iowa. So the bluff's on the other side. About how far away from Omaha is that? That's about a six-hour drive or 5.15 if I'm doing it myself. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's, it's boring. It's once you get past Des Moines and you're on that 80s stretch, it's nothing. So. Do you still have family in the area? In Dubuque, I do. I don't have anybody. There's no family here. I'm a small family. I have a mother. I've never met my father, never known him, although he lived five, six blocks away from me in my whole life. That's the random fact, I guess. And then I have a younger sister who's 12 years younger than I am and some nephews and nieces and that. I have an uncle and cousins and that's about it. So where does your theater background come from? Do you have do you have family that also is involved in theater or are you just kind of the random? I'm the free spirit of the You're family. The free spirit. It's what happened. Um, from what I understand, my mom did try for choir and played guitar and stuff when she was younger. But she has a self-admitted self, like stage fright. She just didn't, it, it was the thing. My choir director in high school was her choir director. And he said, I remember your mother. I, I had to fail her because she wouldn't go on stage. So that there's some artisticness in there. But I have a great uncle who passed away. He was a guitar player, played in the jazz scene and Dubuque and that. So there's like inklings of art. But like my grandfather was a manufacturer. He worked in a manufacturing facility. My grandmother, uncle, most everybody worked in the packing house in Dubuque, which is where a lot of like the Hornmel stuff came from until they tore it down years and years ago. And then my mom, she's been working at the casino there for 20 years and then worked at various other places, including ARC, which was a special needs facility that she was at for many years when I grew up. I started out as a kid interested in music. I grew up, she always had MTV on. We always had music playing, all that stuff. And so I was always interested in music. I started taking lessons in fourth grade for violin. Realized I sucked at that really bad. And so quit violin. It seems like every child starts out with the violin. It was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my sister tried it too. 
and my cousin, we all did. We all had one violin. I think we passed around all of us, but yeah, it was, it was awful. And then I went back and I started playing the drums and then that took off. And so I was a, a drummer from like fifth grade all the way through high school. I played in jazz band and choir, marching band, all that stuff. I started singing in that. And I didn't really get the theater bug until I was a junior in high school. My sophomore year, I played in the pit for My Fair Lady. And as the pit percussionist, we had an extension over the stage. And the extension was over me. Like all the rest of the pit was open, but the pit was over me. And so the cast would dance above me and do all that stuff. And I'm kind of claustrophobic. And so I hated it. I hated B. I hated doing the whole thing. I love the show. Like I love My Fair Lady, but I hated that. And so the next year we were doing Fiddler and my orchestra director said, would you like to play in the pit again? I said, oh, no, 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 no. And trying to be nice. I was like, I'm auditioning for it. And that's legitimately what it was. I just joined choir and I'm like, I'm just going to audition for the show thinking I wouldn't get anything. And then I got Mordka, the innkeeper. And so I had a monologue. I had to learn dancing. I had to learn singing all of this stuff and had no clue. And I remember the guy who directed it was a a gentleman named Scott Allen. And he was an actor. He was in the original cast of Chorus Line. And uh, he happened to be in Dubuque because they uh, hired him to do some shows. And he just kind of landed there for a while. And so he brought me in and never having done theater before, just with friends and stuff like that in the theater, said, "Okay, so you're more to the innkeeper. What's your relationship to the others in the town? What are you doing here? What is the purpose? He's doing all the given circumstances stuff. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm the innkeeper. I keep the inn. And I remember to this day, I was just like, that was most uncomfortable for me. But I, I did it. They put the fake beard on me because I couldn't grow one at the time. And, you know, all this stuff. And, and it was just like a magical moment. And so I did that. And I did the musical the next year. And I did one play but I was still more music based and then uh, graduated in 1997 went to Clark College which is right across the street from my high school and I went as a music major and so I was going to be a high school band director originally that was what I wanted to do but it was a small school small program and I didn't really like analyzing music I just like playing just play the drums have fun But they wanted me to learn like theory and history and all the stuff that I just was not into at the time. So I dropped out of that after my first year, went to community college to get my two year degree, spent five years doing that two year degree. And once I graduated from that, I when I was doing that, I started doing community theater. And that's when it really bit. Uh, I auditioned for Winnie the Pooh at the local community theater, got cast as Eeyore and it was like, it was like magic again. And so I started doing that and working at the local arena as like a stagehand doing concerts and all that stuff. And once, once that was kind of my motion, my job and all of that, I was doing kind of what I do now. I acted and I directed, I was working with youth productions. I was designing, starting to learn how to design lights and sets and just all of the stuff and teaching myself how to do these things. And I did it was like 30 shows in like three or four years. I was just bouncing everywhere I could and doing it in, in the area and started meeting friends who were going to Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls. And 
I would go visit them and see their shows, starting with a production of Hair in 2000. And I saw it and I was like, whoa, this is really, this is cool. This is like amazing, you know, flashing lights and, and everybody was naked and it was, that was weird, but it was fine. It was like people I knew and it was amazing. So I have to, I just have to stop is I have to stop you for one second. So is it more weird to see like naked people that you don't know or naked people that you do know? Well, I could tell a bunch of stories about that on both <laughs> sides, but <laughs> no, uh, it was, it was interesting. Cause it was like, it was just. Yeah, I was just seeing like, and they did it very tastefully. I mean, it was, you know, it was one of those things. And I know, it was just kind of yeah. funny when you said most people I knew. <laughs> so, okay, so so you saw hair in Northern Iowa and then go ahead and continue. So I see hair in Northern Iowa in 2000. And then for like the next four years off and on, I go down to see shows, see friends and visit friends. All the while, I'm still doing a lot of community theater, work in the arena. I had joined a, a cover band, so I was still playing music. And we were a, a popular band in the area, so we were playing all the time. And again, trying to get my two-year degree in that five-year span. <laughs> what ended up happening was in like 2003, I was really thinking hard about it because I knew I had to finish this degree eventually. I was really slacking off. I had a few friends in the course of like six months who had passed away from various things just randomly. So it was like a real-life lesson of trying to figure out like I really need to not waste what I'm doing and so I finished I took comp two which I tried to take three or four times and just didn't do well and finished got my degree spoke at my graduation which I think was just to explain why it took me five years for a two-year degree and got accepted to northern Iowa to do theater and went in the in January of 2004 started doing theater there so I spent. So were you going in? So were you going into theater as a performer or at, on the scenic on, on the technical side? I started out as uh, getting performance and drama for youth. And those were because they have performance, drama for youth and design and production. Those were the three emphases you can get. And so I started out with the drama for youth and performance and with all intensive just being like an actor who can teach, you know, and do workshops and stuff like that. But then I was also taking like lighting design because I was really interested in that. And so I took a lighting design class and then I was doing practicum and you had to work on crews. And so the next full semester I took, I was like, okay, well, I've got a lot of experience working with kids and doing like after school workshops and stuff. So originally I, I had half of the drama for youth degree finished, dropped that, decided to do performance and design and production because. I fully realized I would make money as a technician, at least, and as a designer and doing that stuff. And so fully went into the idea of doing performance and design and production. And then, I, again, I only needed two years, but it took four years. So all in all, my college was like 10 years of slacking, but it was fine because I got performance, design and production and drama for youth when I graduated because I went back and did those like three or four classes I had to do. And graduated in 2009 as a almost 30 year old undergrad, which was great. My family was super proud and relieved and spent the summer all the time I was working at Northern Iowa. I was spending my summers with the Texas Shakespeare Festival. How did you get hooked up with them? Our technical director, Chad Colby, was the technical director down there. And he had been there for like three or four years. And originally I applied as 
like the assistant sound designer or something like that. One of those, uh, I was going to go into sound because I was doing a lot of sound design in Northern Iowa and thought I had that much experience that I could do it. They originally hired me as an intern and I was like, well, I can't afford to do that and be there all summer. But then Chad was still looking for one carpenter and I had been working in the shop like part time that that semester. So I asked him if I if he think I'd be able to do it, if I could handle it. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And I applied. They hired me. And it was like one of the things that changed my life completely because I didn't I wasn't really a carpenter at that time. I, I knew how to kind of build things. But going down and doing summer rep in Texas was like you learned how to build a flat in like 20 minutes. You learn how to get because we we went down and built. They do five shows. They do four main stage shows and then one children's show on the main stage. And you start with the first like five or six weeks. You're building the four main stage shows. And then you tech all four main stage shows and then open all four main stage shows in one weekend and take Monday off. And then you start the children's show on a Tuesday and then on a Wednesday you're rotating all those four shows in rep. So when you open four shows in one weekend, do you have to tear down the set each night and put the new set in? Yeah, it's true. Rotating rep. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, each show, A, B, C, and D opens. And then once we get back on like Tuesday or Wednesday, after taking a couple of days off, we start doing those four shows every We'll do three shows, three of those shows a day. And so so there are three different stages. No, all three on the same stage. So it's but three different sets, three different sets. Yeah. So you do a show, tear it down, put the new one up, do the next show. Mm-hmm. Full changeovers. And then once the, the children's show, which builds and rehearses and techs in two weeks opens, we add that one into the process, too. So every day you could have you'll start with the children's show, which would be like an eight o'clock show. Then you change eight over eight o'clock, eight or nine a.m. Bring the kids in, do that. And then you change over to the early afternoon show. Then you'll do the evening show, and then you'll change over for the next morning show. So technically, you'll have four sets on stage at one one day. And so, so your hours were like what to what? Depending on what you always, every carpenter did the changeovers, but we were also run crew for like three out of the five shows. So. It could be when we're doing just the normal build, it was a 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. call. And then once we got closer to tech, then that was like you're doing 12 to 14 hour days. Once the shows open, though, you could potentially just have like a run crew and then like a couple changeovers. So it was a little more easy, sporadic, I guess. If you had all your shows in one day or one block, it was a little more stressful, but. Once the show's open, it was it was kind of easy cheese for us. It was doing a run crew changeover, take a break, eat dinner, come back and do that stuff. It was it was invaluable to learn that process. Just it was valuable to learn that process just for me as like first trying to build all of that scenery with six or seven guys uh, as carpenters, getting all that scenery built, painted all of that process, figuring out how to store it all, figuring out the different changeover processes, all that stuff. And it was, yeah, I, I was in the best shape of my life probably 
because you're working in the Texas sun doing it. And that's also Ronnie Wells did the same thing. Who was, he was here for a few years doing a lot of scene design, stuff like that. He was, we were roommates for a couple seasons there. And then he became props master there for a while. So, yeah. So how long did you work down there? How many seasons? I did three seasons with them, 2006, seven and eight. So did you work a season there after you graduated from Northern Iowa? Yeah. So I graduated 2008, did, I graduated on my birthday, 2008, May 10th. And then that next week went down to Texas and spent the summer working there. And the contract was usually mid-May through first week of August. And so I did that. And while I'm down there, I'm also applying for jobs. I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I applied all over various different things. And I had been applying. I had interviews with like apprenticeships in Pennsylvania and a job in D.C. as like teaching high school theater design, scenic design and stuff. I had a job offer with the National Ballet doing their technical direction, basically, which would I mean, it would have been they were like, it's really just a show in a box. We get it. You put it together and we do it. And I was like, oh, that would be, yeah, that could be fun. But ultimately what happened was I was at the time I was still dating someone who was at Northern Iowa. My family was still in Eastern Iowa and stuff like that. So I didn't want to go too far away. And, you know, in hindsight, I, do, I don't know. It was it was still, I think, the best choice. I ended up saying no to some of those things and just taking a chance. And then towards the end of that summer, late July, there was a job posting for the Omaha Theater Company, which is the Rose. And it was the technical director there. And I, I looked at it and thought, well, Omaha is not too far away. And Children's Theater could employ all of the things I do as an actor, director, technician, teacher, all that stuff. So I applied the next day or two. I got an email back from the artistic director at the time, James Larson, who said, I know your professor from Northern Iowa, Greta. Do you know how to draft? And I replied back, yes, I know how to draft. I can hand draft. I can do some CAD drafting and stuff like that. And he said, great, we'd like to interview you. Can you come tomorrow? At the time, I was still finishing up Texas. So I said, okay, this is the date. I'm done with Texas. And he said, great, we'll take you the next day. So got done with Texas. My contract ended. Drove. 15, 16 hours back, spent the night in Cedar Falls. Next morning, drove to Omaha, interviewed at the Omaha Theater Company with James. He showed me around. And I had been to Omaha one time before that for a sign language convention in April. And after James interviewed me, which I mean, it was like I was only here for an hour. I remember eating at Zio's in the old market. I was like, this is a nice place. I like this. This be cool. I got home, and by the time I got home, they had said I had the job. So two weeks later, I moved to Omaha. That was in 2008, yeah, and started the job August 18th, 2008. For those who don't know, can you explain what a technical director does, or at least what a technical director at the Rose Theater does? He or she is, is in charge of the scenic studio. It's his or her job to take the scenic designer's plans for the set and figure out how to build them, basically. So the technical director will take the designer's ideas and then build drawings out of them or blueprints, basically, and figure out all the pieces necessary to make a set. And then they'll draw those out, give them to the master carpenter or carpenters, 
and then they'll build them. Technical director also helped build. And then my job at the time was also to oversee props. We had a props master, a master carpenter, and a scenic artist, a scenic charge. The scenic charge was in charge of painting all of the scenery. And so there was one person for each of those positions. And so it was my job to kind of oversee all of them and just make sure that we got everything ready when we loaded in because the Omaha Theater Company also built its scenery on a, a separate site. So they built it at a warehouse a couple blocks away right next to the Children's Museum. And then they have a one or two week load in period where they have struck the old set, bring the new set in, install the new set, make sure, get everything ready for tech, do tech, open, reverse repeat, basically. And what were your typical hours? Well, when we started out, it was like eight to four. It was like a typical nine to five type of thing. But we were such a small crew that once we got into load ins, those days could be 12 to 24 hour days. You know, it was trying to get depending on the size of the set. It could have been just spending living at the theater doing that stuff because obviously the rose is a huge stage. So it's not like loading. You're not loading things out of your car. You're loading things out of a, a truck of a semi or something, you know. So. There were days where I'd go in at eight o'clock and I'd leave at eight o'clock the next day. Once we got further along in the season, we're doing bigger shows. I was also, while I was technical director, I would act in one show a year. So my first year I did Charlotte's Web, which I also designed the set for Charlotte's Web. So at the same time, I was doing all three and I would never recommend that again. <laughs> <laughs> and the next year I acted in Velveteen Rabbit and designed Bridge of Terabithia, which were completely on the different ends of the season. So that was a nice little break. And then I would also, because I had the drama for youth degree, I was doing all those other duties as assigned. And so when Brian Gehring, the director of education was like, would you like to help teach some classes? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. You know? So I would do workshops after school workshops. I would do sometimes Saturday morning classes. My second year I co-taught two or three classes on Saturday mornings and stuff like that. So I was doing a lot of, I was living at the Rose. I was doing a lot of stuff. So my hours were picking up more and more. And at the time I didn't know too many people in Omaha and it was just, it was just a safe haven in a way to be there doing all those shows. Because of your schedule, it sounds like you wouldn't have had any time to do anything outside of the Rose or did you? I did. My second year, my first year. You were learning the ropes. I was learning the ropes. I was learning how everything worked. I remember I didn't even see. I mean, I tried to see shows. I remember trying to go see it was Picasso at UNO. I was really excited. Picasso at the Le Pen Gile. And I remember trying to go and then I locked myself out of my apartment. I was like, well, this is not meant to be, <laughs> you know, and I did like the like things always kept happening. So I never got to see a show in Omaha. Sure. My first season until I saw Gypsy. Oh, no, no. I saw the Blue Barn was, did the goat. That was the first show I saw. So and I loved the goat. We had studied it a lot in college. And so I got to see Jim McCain and Moira and the whole goat tearing up and everything. And and just spoiler sit back. Alert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, spoiler alert. Just, After five years. I'm just kidding. You are, you I, know. Know. I know. And nobody nobody knows who Sylvia really is. No. But, yeah, so I got to see that, and then I saw Gypsy that year. And so that was like my two shows. 
And then my second season, I started to kind of branch out. I got involved at Skullduggery, which is where I directed my first show in town when I did Red Light Winter with Andrew McGreevy and Leanne Anderson and Leo Sorio. And I also built some scenery for, for Andrew and went. That was the year I also auditioned for Execution of Justice at, at Snap. And so. And that was the first time that I had seen you. Oh, yeah. It was pretty much the first time anybody really had seen <laughs> me uh, outside of the, the people, the 30 people I think who saw got to see Red Light Winter in, in our small little office space. But yeah. How many years did you work at the Rose? I, well, and technically I still work there. Oh, sure. But not as technical director. No, I did two seasons as technical director and I quit after the second year just because the hours were dragging. I mean, it's a physically demanding position and we were, were very short. Now they have a lot more, they have interns and more staff in there. They have a lot more support and, and everything like that. And, and at the time I admittedly wasn't probably ready, ready for that position. It was a large undertaking doing nine main stage shows a year with a crew of three other people. And at the time, our scenic artist was also a rotating position. So it was a contract position, meaning that like when loading happened, if there was painting more to do, I was doing the rest of the painting. And so which happened a couple of times just because it's huge, huge shows and stuff. And so I was extremely burnt out my second season. And I remember going to USITT, which is the United States Institute of Theater Technology Conference. And there was a, a thing on just mental health, basically, for technicians and that. And all the people in the room were like, you filled out a little survey and you had the number one to five or whatever, you know, and people were raising their hands like, did you get a one? And most people raised their hand and two or three and you got to five. And I was one of the only people who raised their hand. They're like, oh, you're really stressed out. And I'm like. I don't, I don't know about that. I listened to all these college kids being like, well, I have to take all these classes and I'm doing two shows a year and I've got this and I got to think about grad school and stuff. And, <laughs> and at one point I went, I do nine main stage shows. We rehab five Metro tours. We send out two national tours. We have a crew of four and they went, what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, so yeah, I, I won, I won that. Yeah. That was it was, it was an awful thing to win, but He's, I won. You got the steak knife set. Right? Yeah, it was great. I still use those knives, too. But, yeah, so uh, end of my second season, it was it was apparent I was burning out really quickly. And we were doing load-in for High School Musical 2, which was the second summer. Well, we did High School Musical 1 the first year. And there were some... We were just trying to move so fast to get so many things in place. And... We were trying to rig up some scenic pieces and there were some things that had failed and it was by no, no one's fault by anything. It was, it was actually a mechanical error of something, uh, our Nyko press sleeve. It's the thing that you use to press the wire ropes, the, the wire, uh, it's hard to explain, but it's the wire, wire ropes that hang the scenery have a press that holds the thing together and the press had lost a spring or something. And we wouldn't have known until that happened. But scenery, it wasn't falling while it was a rehearsal. It was falling while we were hanging it. And so the director of the production at the time was like, all right, let's no, let's stop. She sent me home over the weekend. It was I remember it was Memorial Day weekend. And I came back the next Tuesday and I talked to Julie Walker, who's the 
managing director there. And I was like, I can't keep doing this. It's not, it, it's hard. It's too hard. And she's like, yeah, I think, I think that's yeah. Valid. And so then I was just in this world of whatever. So I had some money saved up and I kind of spent the summer doing that. And that's also, I was starting to do the karaoke thing at that time. So I was still having a little bit of income. And after that, I got a gig with Y Arts with Carolyn Anderson, which is a, a group, a nonprofit group that does, brings arts to underserved communities. And a number of people that will be on this podcast probably and in this town were for Y Arts. You know, Kim Carlson and Stephanie Anderson are two other people who organize all of us artists. But there's visual artists, there's performing artists, there's musicians, there's it's just a ton of people. And I think we've grown. Like, I don't even know how many people are in the group anymore. And sometimes I see why arts with stuff. I'm like, oh, you're in that, too. You do this, too. It's great. But I started working with them because I have a lot of background with special needs. And so I started doing workshops based on that and doing after school workshops with uh, low income schools and that sort of thing. Just doing visual art and also doing some like theater games and stuff like that, which was really kind of cathartic. It was just nice. and a different break on stuff. Soon after the summer, after I I quit as TD, they needed help in the box office at the Rose. And so I was like, well, it's okay. I'll come back and work there. That's fine. And so started working there in the box office part-time doing some marketing stuff and then selling tickets and all of that. And and that was eight years ago. I'm still doing that. Still doing that part-time, which has been great. And since then I've built up the kind of freelance life with designing and directing and all the other 9,000 things I do. Where all have, where all have we seen your work? I mean, obviously you're on the board of Snap and Shelter Belt. So we have seen your design work, both scenic design, lighting design, directing at Snap and Shelter Belt. Obviously you've done work at the Rose. You just had, you just did lighting design at the Blue Barn. I did. I did my first Blue Barn show this year for INU which was awesome seeing as though the goat was like my first non rose production. I watched, I finally, after 10 years was like, Hey, I'm here, (laughs) you know, uh, and seeing I, I, the goat wasn't the only show I've seen at the blue barn, obviously. And that was a fantastic experience working with, with Barry and, and Susan on that show. So I got that. I, I've been, you've done stuff at the Bellevue little theater. I did. I did. I I did clue with you actually. And then I'm going to be there again this year for Baskerville with Suzanne with with them. And that'll be coming up. Mm-hmm. And so, you've done stuff at Chanticleer. Chanticleer. Spent a season with Chanticleer. I've worked with Bridget St. Bridget on a couple of shows. I didn't know that. Yep. Did I did two shows when they were with, with the Blue Barn. And then I did a show with them when they first moved into their space on 10th and Douglas, I think, or whatever, or that storefront space they had. So I did three shows there. Chanticleer, uh, Iowa Western which is where I'm at now, too. Yes, and what all do you do at Iowa Western? I'm an adjunct faculty member there, so I teach stagecraft and theater lab, and then I also design scenery sometimes, but I do mostly the lighting design and then the technical direction there, too. So I build all the scenery with the students, do the lights, and work their shows, depending on what shows we do, do that. So I've got Iowa Western, and then Chanticleer, Bellevue Little Theater. I did, I've acted in two shows at the Playhouse. Which shows did you do at the Playhouse? My first one was Chicago. I was guy number five. It was great. <laughs> so much fun. 
Better than guy number six. Right? I know. That guy was a jerk. He was. Um, I remember him. Yeah, right. That's. I met a lot of people doing that one. Obviously, Carl, Carl Beck directed it. So that was the first time I had ever worked with him. And then Seth Fox, uh, Kristen Kluver, Sam Nielsen. I mean, the, the list of people that was in that show was just a phenomenal cast and crew to be around and be with and a great intro to the the OCP stage. So I did that, which, you know, with the rehearsal and everything was like 10 years. It felt like it was great. It was, uh, but we ended in, and I, I see now, I still see people and that's what we talk about. We still talk about that. And then I did Enron with that and the little stage. So I've been on the big and the little stage there. And then I did stage reading with them, Elephant's Graveyard. So I did that. And that's, that's my OC penis right there. That's not, that's not a really weird was, way. I said it in my headset. And it was, yeah. was Enron the last time you appeared on stage? No. The last time I was on stage for a full show was 2016 with Nebraska Shakespeare. I did Taming of the Shrew. So, and I did two seasons with, two seasons with Nebraska Shakespeare. So I did As You Like It, which Vince directed. And then I came back and did Taming of the Shrew, which Amy Lane directed. And so that was the last time I was in a full show. And then after that, I did, I, I stepped in to take over for a role at the Rose for Goodnight Moon. And that was the last time I, I've been on stage. So it's been about two years. So you're due. I am due. I am due. And I keep thinking about it. And there's been a ton of shows. I'm like, I should audition for that. And then I get hired to design something. And, there you go. You know. Well, you can always go out and try and reprise your role from Rocky Horror this Oh, I know. This I fall saw that. at uh, the Playhouse. I saw that. I, yeah. I, that is definitely in my mind right now. I would love to be Eddie again. Take a moment to, if you would, to discuss your role as a lighting designer, what all that entails. Let's do, let's do Carrie, because Carrie was a pretty complex lighting design. I don't know if it's the most complex lighting design that you've done, maybe the most lighting complex in that space for sure. But can you talk about the process of what it's like to be a lighting designer? What all is involved with that? Yeah, I, I say as a lighting designer, I say that my job is to paint the canvas of the stage with color. And first and foremost, you got to make sure the actors are seen, but it's also highlighting and, and creating Moods and emotions and that sort of thing. So the process starts out with, well, reading the script. That's the first thing you got to do is read the script, find out all of that stuff. You would be amazed at some designers who don't. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying I do. <laughs> I've done saying, it every time. I'm not I mean, saying here. But. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I have all the time. There's There's been a couple where I'm like, I know the show already. So reading the script is important, obviously. I have learned some things by not. Uh, but meeting with the director and the rest of the production team and figuring out what the overall thesis of the show is, basically figuring out themes and metaphors and what they're looking for. So in the case of Carrie, Todd wanted it to, he didn't want to like put a, a, a high school. He didn't want to, he wanted to have a kind of a rockish feel. And so, because a lot of that music lends it to rock lighting or concert lighting. So you have that initial design meeting and as a lighting designer, a scenic designer, as a scenic designer, I'll turn in like thumbnail sketches, renderings, that sort of thing. As a lighting designer, I'll find inspirational photos, things that make me feel the moods of the show, what Carrie's going for, that sort of stuff. I do a lot of Pinterest boards now, which is like the golden resource for everything. So I'll do a lot of that. And then through our design and production meetings, 
figure out one what what the set design is going to look like so i can shape my lighting around it so in the case of carrie we had kind of a platform set up in the middle like steps for a high school so when we did the crowning she'd be at the top of the steps and they had a trap door in that for when she was punished by her mom then there were two arches in a way with the projection screens they were supposed to look like metallic truss and then the floor everything was supposed to be kind of a basketball court so it lended itself to a lot of whatever i wanted to do lighting wise so i took our leds and some of the stuff i owned and then and just kind of got everything so I could light it in a way that was one concert lighting. But also just I tried to, especially now, try to make sure I'm prepared to do lighting in any way, shape or, or form, if that makes sense. So especially like I and you was my first time at the Blue Barn. I came up with a plot that was, you know, we didn't use every single light and and my idea for the show and Barry's idea of how he wanted it lit were different. We collaborated together to reach that middle ground, but we didn't, we didn't use every light and that's fine, you know, but it's having that preparedness for it. So I, and I like working a lot with like saturated colors and that sort of thing. And I find that the more I watch myself and other designers around town, I can find things we use all the time. So so our styles that we use. So I use, I always have gobos everywhere. Gobos are patterns that you put in a light to make it look like there's a window coming through the the scenery when there's no window or make it look like if they're walking through a forest, you can see like it's the light coming through trees, that sort of thing. I love gobos. Love them. They're I own them because they're fun. They're like trading cards to me. So I use a lot of gobos and backlight, uh, saturated colors. Those things are, are kind of in my style. And then I just kind of go around and I'll plot it out. And when I was at Snap Shelter Belt, I, I did so many shows there. I just knew how to hang. I knew where to hang the lights and knew how to do it. And I didn't have to. And I was always the one hanging it. So I didn't necessarily have to plot out everything. Now I'm plotting everything out for high schools and Iowa Western and everything. It's, it's, it's a totally different world for me. But yeah, I would, I would get it plotted out and then get it in the space, focus everything, get everything going and make sure that everything was lit. And Hopefully by opening, cue up Carrie the Musical. (laughs) Do you, you said something that kind of interested me a little bit, which was when you go see a show, you kind of pay attention to other designers and kind of see what, what they do as far as like their style, like your style is using a lot of gobos. And I, and I know that because I've worked with you that if I walk in and I'll go, oh, this is a Josh lighting design. I know because there are gobos all over the place. Do you find when you go to see shows anymore, and I don't know if you get the opportunity to go see a lot of shows, but do you find you can't enjoy the show as much because you're, you're studying the lighting design or does it just kind of, is it kind of more of like a subconscious thing that you maybe think about afterwards? Well, it's both. It's, it's, it's a, it's a mixture. It's, you know, I, when I go into a, like, if I go into the, the Howard Drew the smaller space at the OCP, you can see all of the lighting instruments. So I can spend the pre-show looking and seeing what's up first off. And when the show is going on, I can peripherally see all of that. So sometimes I'll, I'll glance up to see, Oh, this light's doing this. That's cool. I like, I like that look. And I might see, you know, sometimes I can see what 
gobo numbers are up there or not gobo uh, gel numbers are up there those sort of things if i'm on the like I, i'm using ocp because they're the two stages or the rows even like if i'm at the rows such a big theater i can check and see you know i can be like oh that looks cool where is that coming from what is that doing that sort of thing i don't think it necessarily like changes my view of the performance because i also i'm also think as thinking as a an audience member or also as a director, performer, all that stuff, like just all the things around there. I'm still watching the show and definitely I'm, I'm trying to focus on what's on stage. But if something catches my eye, I'm going to drift away and sure. look up, look up. And I hope that I've never gone to a show and somebody's like, God, he's not paying attention. You know, I mean, no, you know. but I mean, you know, it's one of those things like sometimes I'll go see a show and I'll see like a really great performance. And the thought that goes through my head is, why do I even bother auditioning again? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, no, or, or that's probably why, why, why I haven't been on stage in two years. <laughs> why, why am I directing anything anymore right. when I yeah. see stuff? So I, yeah, I mean, it just kind of, it just kind of happens. Do you have a show? I ask this question a lot. Do you have like a bucket list show that you would either like to be in or that you would like to design? You know, if I, if, if I could be in if I could act in one show, one of my favorite shows is Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. And I'm hitting that decade where I'm the right age now. So that would be a bucket list show to act in. I, that was one of the plays I studied a lot in college. I just love those, the, the dialogue that Terrence McNally has in that show. So if anybody thinks I'm the right age, get me back on stage. Uh, I will show my butt for that. Because he, I think he does at one point. I don't know. I remember the episode. Gets back to the naked thing. Yeah, I know, right? Become full circle. Right. That's the one. Yeah, I would love to do that. And and musical wise, if I could, I know I know Chanticleer's doing it. I just know I wouldn't have the chance to audition for it. But My Fair Lady playing Henry Higgins someday because it goes back to that was the first show I really ever did playing in the pit and that sort of thing. And so and just remembering that that moment and watching the guy who played Henry Higgins sing. I've grown accustomed to my face and all that stuff, you know, and I'm a big Audrey Hepburn fan, too. So like. Being Henry Higgins would be a bucket list role, musical wise. As far as design, I just love lighting things. And so I've never really been like, I really need to light this show. I've just been lucky enough that the shows I do light, I've been given the opportunity to light them in a way that's been appealing to me. Like I've, I've not really had a show where I'm like, Ugh, gosh, just turn the lights on and off. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel... And I like playing with lights. So mm-hmm. it's the little geeky technis- technical of me. So I think, you know, and of course, as a lighting designer, if I can do a bunch of fancy lighting fun stuff, that's fun. But even with like I and you, Barry was great enough to like simplify what I've done. So I've had all these years of doing like, I love saturated colors. I love a lot of gobos. I love this stuff. And I went into I and you thinking that like this show needs that and I can spoil anything and it's over anyway but you know like the whole the whole ending sequence if anybody saw it like just I thought all these things these grand lighting techniques and things to do and then Barry's like well no we can do this using what you have and stuff and so Barry and Susan we we worked tirelessly to, to get those moments really down pat and simplify them and it was like oh yeah this is this is great so it was a totally different process and it was a totally different way to think. And I'm so grateful that I got to do that. So lighting wise, I think as long as I can turn them on, I'm pretty happy. 
Is there a particular palette of colors that you love using in your lighting designs? I do like saturated colors and I do find myself like when I look at things like mixing the the red and blues to get the purples in there and stuff. I, I, I think a lot of lighting designers will will say that haze is a cool thing to use because you can see the light beams in the air and all of that stuff. And so if I can do that, I I really do particularly like it a lot. And I think, you know, I've been using glass gobos a little bit more instead of the metal patterns. So now I can get more colors in the air and I can also get different textures on the ground that you can't get with just a breakout metal print type of thing. So that's been interesting to experiment with, which has been fun to do. So I just, you know, and I own some of my own LEDs that I use for shows. Which now that I'm working at like bigger high schools and stuff, I'm like, I should buy more lights. I should just keep buying lights. But Victoria wouldn't like that. But uh, where would you store them? <laughs> right now, it's wherever the school is I'm working. <laughs> you guys want these for a second? Do you design a lot of high school shows? Uh, I've been doing like two or three a year. So right now, this year I did, I'm designing the sets for Marion High School. They've got, they're doing a production of The Birds, which opens April 4th. And then I've been working at Burke for the last three or four years doing their lights and also directing their special needs musical. Yeah. The rockstar program. Yeah, exactly. And we've got all that's all coming up too. And then I did Bellevue West this year too. I did some scene scene building with them. And the nice thing about high schools is that it's one, the school closes, so I can't be there all night. So I have to figure out how to build it faster, but it's a teaching experience. So sometimes it's not, like with Cinderella at Bellevue West, we had these, like, these are the things we want to accomplish. And these are the things we want to do. And a lot of the kids had their own projects. So it was me showing, being like, well, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should do this, you know? So it wasn't me going, we're going to do it like this. This is how I want to build. This is what it is, you know? And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know? And it's a high school show. And as long as they're learning, you're getting a cool, they're getting a cool experience. They're getting to work someone who's done it professionally. And I'm getting the experience to share knowledge and also still somewhat experiment, you know, because sometimes the kids will come up to me and be like, why can I do this with with the carriage for Cinderella? And I'm like, yeah, try it. You know, I don't know if that's going to work, but try it. We'll see and we'll fix it. So that's I love working with high schools for that reason, just getting those things out of there. But, yeah, I get like two or three a year and add it on to Iowa Western and that stuff. It's. It's been the consistent, consistent freelancer, like palette of getting some jobs and stuff like that. So can you take a moment to talk about the Rockstar program at Burke? Yeah, the Rockstar program. And I, I did. I listened to all of the podcasts that have been released so far. Uh, <laughs> well, so you know that Emily and I talked about it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, my name was dropped. It was fun. <laughs> so there was a program established prior to what Emily and I do now. And the teacher who did that retired. And I had worked a few times with her as a Y arts artist doing workshops and stuff like that. And the name escaped me, but she was fantastic. She was a fantastic teacher. I think they called her Miss M. Yes. Which yes. is why Emily is Miss Mo. Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. See, and I did. I swear I listened to the podcast because right. I heard my own name. <laughs> but I listened that's to what all, you focused on. It's all, all good. five of them at the same. So, you know, but yeah, so Miss M retired and she she did a phenomenal job with a lot of things. She would take all of the rock stars to Chicago and take them all on a field trip. And then, you know, 30 kids with different abilities 
And so her and her parents and her other teachers would take them to a Cubs game and all this stuff and and what which is mind boggling to me. So she retired and Emily kind of wanted to keep that program going and do a, a collaboration. And so the first year it happened, we did hairspray. And I, it was kind of a fluke. I think there was something happened with whoever was supposed to direct it. And Emily's like, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, of course I would. I would love to do the I would love to do it. I had no clue what we were going to get into and do. But we stepped in, we did Hairspray. And what it is, is that the Rockstar Musical is a collaboration between the theater department and the Rockstar class. And so Emily's Drama 5-6 kids will take a script like this year we're doing Toy Story and they'll take the story and kind of adapt it down into a half hour play. So we've done Hairspray, High School Musical, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Frozen, Toy Story. So like six of them now, all Disney type stuff. But it's and the kids, the rock stars have a say in what we do. You know, the first few years we picked, um, but they, they're like, well, can we do this? Can we do this? You know, that sort of stuff. And so Toy Story became this year. And so they adapt a script, which has dialogue and then a music number per scene, basically. And so we come in and we've rehearsed, we'll rehearse like often on 10 weeks, which is broken up between like their spring break. We take a week off and we also take off time when they do their, their musical. Cause we're all working on that too. And I direct it. Julian Adair is doing choreography this year. Kim Clark Kazmarek worked on it with us last year. Courtney Stein is choreographed. And so it, it's, it's a magical experience because you have 30 kids with different abilities all in these parts and they're super excited to be Woody and Buzz Lightyear. But they're also the kids who are super excited to be Lenny the Shark and Ham and Bo Peep and stuff. You know, it's it's and it's fun. And so Julian and I will come in and we'll usually on separate days, I'll do blocking rehearsals. And I just try to block the whole show in the, like the first week and get rough blocking. And then we run it over and over and we're trying to pick and get things going and, and whatnot. And we'll use the set, most of the set that they use for Big Fish as part of our scenery and we'll incorporate stuff for them. This year they did a project with Wire. It's called the Machines Project. So each classroom built a, a machine of some kind and like a little machine sculpture. So we'll have that as part of the set too. And that the kids will come up with their own costumes in a way. So, you know, we'll try and fit like Woody's hat or Buzz's helmet or something. But we took a day or two to give them. They each got like a foam board, uh, one of the foam floaty boards. And they're like, here you go. And here's some glitter and here's pipe cleaners. And with their partner, they're all partnered with someone in the drama club, uh, drama classes. So with their partner, they created a costume piece that they wear as like a chess piece or uh, in Buzz Lightyear's case, we we made his wristbands and all that stuff. And it's it's exciting to me to see, first off, some of these kids I've seen grow up now that I've done six of them. They're like my students, you know, they're graduating and stuff like that. And I've seen them in other programs. And some of them, like Katie, who is the gal who's played Jesse, she's done the Rockstar program. But she's also done a lot of workshops with us at Monroe Meyer with Y Arts because we do a camp with them twice a year. And she's been in like all five of those we've done. And so I've literally done 10 shows with this one student, you know. And so she's playing Jesse and she's singing When She Loved Me 
Right. And she's just like, she's crying every time and I'm crying every time. And I'm like, oh, you're going to break my heart. And this is going to be great. So what it inevitably ends up being is you got these 30 kids who are making magic on the stage and they get to for one day because we do we'll do an afternoon show for other ACP classes for other special need classes and students at Burke. And then that evening, they feel like a thousand people show up. It's always full. And it's it, it's like a rock show. Like they're cheering wildly for them. They give them standing ovations all the time. And and I get to sit in the front row and just watch my kids like up there. And the special. So Katie, who's playing Jesse, her first show. I can't remember what, show, what it was. We were just talking about it. She uh, got up there and she was doing whatever her line was. It came up and she was standing on a platform. And she froze. She just froze. And she was looking like glassy eyed and out in the audience. And we were all looking, kind of looking at each other. And none of the high, the high school students were like, what do we do? And so finally, I just kind of like I walked up on stage, which I, I've never had to do. I walked up on the stage and I walked up to her and I was like, are you OK? And she's like, I'm nervous. And I said, you know, she had a whenever she delivered the line in rehearsal, she always said it was for Justin Bieber who was her, her, her favorite. Uh, and so I walked up and I was like, all right, well, Justin's out in the audience. Just imagine that, that Justin's out there and you're saying it for Justin Bieber. And her face changed and she went and she said the line. I walked back down and I was like, that was the, one of the most amazing things that randomly has happened, you know, but these kids learn choreography. They learn the dances and it's kind of, you know, they're, we're, we're doing it kind of karaoke. They're singing over the tracks and everything, but they memorize. I'll guarantee you every kid will know every word to every song. Every kid will have their part ready. And once that curtain opens at Burke, it's like electric magic. It's it's so entertaining for the, the half hour that they're on stage to just watch them and be lost in their enthusiasm and have that, you know, because I, I do like 10 shows a year. Sometimes I'm like, it's just another, it's another show. We're going through this. We got to go. Let's go. You know, I don't, I sometimes forget to take the time to realize how special it is. Not to say that any show is not not valid, but sometimes I'm so busy that when the show's over, I'm like, oh, it's over. But with the rock stars, seeing them that one night with all 30 of them and their 30 partners and all the cluster that's gone on the stage and the chaos that has been because getting 60 people to dance to you've got a friend and go on and off stage. And sometimes just to get them to yell, you know, is is like, okay, okay, whatever happens, happens. But when they open that curtain, what happens is usually something phenomenal. And I hope, you know, I hope people see it. If they don't see it this year, they see it next year, which we'll have a big announcement for that, which is I'm so excited for that. But I just love it. Every year getting to see those kids do it and see them succeed. And now to see the kids when they begin the program and graduate the program and then like maybe run into them in the community later. It's hands down one of my favorite things. I can't ever say anything bad about it. It's a, it's a cool feeling. Very neat. So I'm going to take a moment to ask you some questions. What's your favorite color? Actually, it's orange. I know. Like Denver Broncos orange? I think so, yeah. You think yeah. that's 
And I'll admit, I kind of prejudged after after listening to podcasts. Yeah. I was like, what is my favorite color? What is my favorite color? A lot of people say blue. A lot of people say green. Green, yeah. So I'm glad you're. I'm like, glad you're different. Blue would be a second one. Blue would be. And I use it. I use it a lot. Blues for me. Yeah. Right? yeah, blues always been my color. If you could go back in time and meet someone famous, who would you like to go back and meet? I would definitely. I mean, I guess top two. But I would definitely go Jim Henson. I'm big Muppets. I've always admired the Muppets, and I create. I can't make a puppet to save my life because I can't sew. But I've always. I always say the word magic is one of my favorite words because especially in our world with suspension of disbelief and what we do, it's, it's a magical thing. You know, we're taking and creating um, a reality out of a lot of fake and for two hours or whatever in theater, we take a whole audience of sometimes thousands of people and we bring them into that magical world and change their lives for two hours make them believe that this is all real. And with Jim Henson, he did that. He's, I mean, they're still doing that. Like a kid can look at Kermit the frog and believe that that frog is real in front of them, even though they see a guy underneath it, you know, and just the simplicity of some of the things he did, like making, making them ride bikes or, or creating big bird and snuffleupagus and how it's changed well, when I, when I was in high school, I had to write a, a paper in U.S. history on the person who you think changed America in the 20th century the most. And, you know, everybody was choosing JFK or or like or event. And it was like JFK or this, like Vietnam War was a big one and, and civil rights, Martin Luther King Jr. And that. And I was like, Jim Henson has changed the lives of every kid, you know, who's who's watched Sesame Street or watched The Muppet Show and that sort of thing. So I guess, I guess that would be Jim Henson. That I'm a rambling answer. <laughs> or Freddie Mercury. I love Queen, too. What was your favorite percussionist? Oh, my gosh. So I, I grew up watching, when I, when I started getting into drumming, I was watching a lot of MTV. So there were a lot of hair bands at the time. I have a guilty Motley Crue pleasure. Like, it's like in my head. So Tommy Lee was cool to watch. The first drummer I ever remember seeing live I saw Kiss in concert and so it was 1990 my mom took me it was Kiss, Slaughter and Winger and the drummer at the time was a guy named Eric Carr and he passed he actually passed away like a year later of cancer died the same day as Freddie Mercury actually he he was just this guy he had like this massive drum set with four bass drums and like 300 cymbals and everything and I just remember being an 11 year old kid watching that so he was the first guy I was like crazy about Obviously, Neil Peart, Peart uh, with Rush is one of the big ones. John Bonham. I can't do like just the one, I guess. But I also listen to a lot of swing and jazz because of growing up. And one of the coolest guys I ever got to celebrities I ever got to meet was Ed Shaughnessy. And he was the drummer for The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And he did a clinic with us in high school and performed with our jazz band. And like I got the opportunity to help him set up his drums and hang out with him and just sit there and talk to this guy. And I kind of grew up watching Carson towards the end of his run. And so like, here's this big celebrity and he was the same guy. He was like the beard and the big pendant thing. And I got to sit just stage left of him and watch him play. And I still have an autograph drum head from him. So that was like one of the coolest things getting to see him play. Josh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. 
Who's your favorite baseball team? Oh, Chicago Cubs. I'm a Cubs fan. Yeah. I cried. I cried. 2016. Still cry. Every once in a while, if I want to, you know, some people watch depressing movies and stuff like that, but I'll just watch that final moment. I was, yeah, yeah, I just remember. It was emotional. I finally did it after 108 years. Thank you for listening to the Thank You Five podcast with original theme music by Tim Vallier. For more information about tonight's guest, please visit www.thankyou5pod.com. Be sure to head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And remember that right now, somewhere in the world, a stage manager is saying, five minutes to curtain. Thank you, five. 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 That's the other talking.